I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. Uh, greetings from Bratislava, Magdeburg, and New York City this time. Uh, I'm David. And I'm Mark, and you're listening to the Check Your Facts podcast. A little podcast by journalists, for journalists, about everything journalism, but mostly digital journalism. And yeah, that's what we like, that's what we do, and that's what we talk about all the time. David, how have you been in the last week? Uh, very well, Mark. Uh, but I hear you have a slight cold. Maybe the listeners cannot hear, but I actually knew about that because you, you wrote me in a messenger. So I <laughs> yeah, my, my nose is free, but I've got this bad cough, but it's, um, yeah, it's going to be fine. It's like the third, fourth, fifth day or something. So I hope it's going to be over soon. This time we have a really busy guest. Uh, we, we scheduled this interview actually like a few weeks in advance. And uh, so we want to dra dive uh, really quickly into it because... She has, uh, uh, she's, she's busy and she's like uh, really smart, so that's why she's busy, I guess. <laughs> and uh, so with that being said, I would like to welcome uh, Emily Goligonski to the podcast. I hope I, I pronounced that right. That sounded good to me. Thank you for having me. So where, where does that surname come from? Uh, that's Polish. Also, you have also Polish roots, I guess. I do, I do. Um, I wish that we could conduct this interview in Polish, but uh, you would find my Polish to be non-existent. So alas, we're going to have to do it in English. So, so is mine, although my last name is Polish as well, but I can't speak a word Polish. <laughs> I think you're in good company there, Mark. <laughs> uh, so, so Emily, um, just a basic question we give uh, to every hour <laughs> or to every guest. Um, um, how how did you get to journalism? What was your path? Absolutely. So I am from a family of journalists. My mom was a um, was a, a daily news reporter. My grandfather was a sports editor um, at a daily newspaper. And so from an early age, I had a, a lot of appreciation for news. There always was, you know, news on the TV, playing national public radio around the house and in the car, um, and always a daily paper or two at the at the breakfast table. Um, and when I went into studying journalism, I, I had a lot of support from my family um, and pursued internships. And, and work as a as a daily culture affairs reporter um, with the Cape Times through some work at Northwestern, um, and just got really excited about the work of reporting the the news that people needed to know, but also uh, being able to to provide information that they didn't have otherwise. And I I see a, a big link with that and some of the work that that we see now that people really say, you know, I can get the, the commodity news, the daily news anywhere. I want a different spin on it. And I want, um, I want to be turned on to things that me and my leader should know about that aren't being reported elsewhere. So I would say I've always had an affinity for local reporting, um, and for investigative news and, um, and feel really excited about the work that I've gotten to do at the New York times. And now with the membership puzzle project, um, based at NYU. And that's actually one of the reasons why we, we wanted to talk to you because the, the work you're doing now, uh, Which, how, how long have you been in uh, the Membership Puzzle Project? 
We're now about four months underway. So we got a one-year grant from Democracy Fund and the Knight Foundation to to work in partnership with Day Correspondent, which is a member-funded newsroom out of Amsterdam, really to understand how news organizations might be optimized for trust. So working with Professor Jay Rosen here at NYU and our team of of researchers, um, we are sort of combing the world to understand where news organizations, be they nonprofit or for-profit, single-issue focused or more mass market, um, where they're trying to find unique and meaningful ways to engage with their audiences. And in that work, we've identified um, sort of this this two-way knowledge exchange that's really important and that represents a real paradigm shift from you know, news talking at audiences or giving them information they need to know to really more of a, a form of two-way knowledge exchange where both parties bring information and expertise to the table and end up sort of benefiting each other, benefiting one another as a result of that. And so we've gotten really excited by looking at sites like The Ferret in Scotland, um, which offers quite a bit of investigative reporting, training, and opportunities for their members to fact-check reporting and really to aid in in that work. Um, Sites like Inside Story in Athens, which encourages its members to to, um, pitch one another for investigative story ideas that that wouldn't otherwise get told, and then co-report those stories with staff. So opportunities like that where... um, individuals from the community are bringing their own passion and their own interest in journalism um, and bringing more than just money, although the money is fantastically important and we see um, sites really needing that to be able to to thrive and get their work done in the world. Um, But I would say what I'm especially excited about in, in pursuing this work is being able to see organizations that are offering new and myriad forms of participation that didn't previously exist. Um, so that could be technical fact-checking, that could be suggesting sources, um, that can be volunteering at live in-person events. Uh, and so we're, we're very enthused by sort of this, um, this richer, more robust, sort of what we call a thick membership model that we've detailed on our site our website, membershippuzzle.org. I, I totally encourage everyone to check out the, the website because there are like a, a, a many posts that you've written. I've been, we've been following them uh, closely. But one, one, just, just to go back to one of the things that like really struck me at, at when, the, when the, the Membership Puzzle project was announced, um, it was re- I'm, I'm like really curious and it was interesting for, for me uh that uh the that a news uh, a european uh basically a news media that the, the correspondent was one one of the like founding members uh like from this you, you might say from uh, the us or the global perspective that's a small european country uh with uh with, with this like uh not even, I guess, the the biggest news media inside the country, but like they started this. And uh, so, on the other hand, you have in the US there is like New York Times, Wall Street Journal, um, Washington Post, um, uh, all three of them who have like more than a million like subscribers, like like you you can you would say members. And uh, so, so I'm curious why was it not these like huge organization with, with who 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 would start such a thing 
Sure. So I should quickly clarify that um, we have looked quite a bit at donation and and traditional subscription models, like what the Washington Post has. Um, and we do differentiate those a bit. We almost think of them as like um, thin or more transactional type of models, which are really important and can be a great fit for organizations that don't have a lot of um, resources or bandwidth to put into audience audience exchange or audience interaction. Um, what we have been especially drawn to are sites like um, Denik N in Slovakia, um, Corrective in, in Essen, Germany, uh, that have really thought sort of beyond the traditional, more transactional subscription model to look at how it is that they might tap their own members' expertise and make good use of their time, energy, and ideas. And we have a database on our site um, that includes about 100 different sites that are undertaking this sort of robust form of, of knowledge exchange with their members and we're consistently adding to that. So as you have um, organizations in mind that, that sort of meet this uh, robust membership test, please let us know and we would love to include them. But one thing I would say is um, together with our research team, we have been very turned on to a lot of sites um, in Eastern Europe, especially that have launched as other um as other traditional or legacy media have been unable to cover important investigative stories, these sites, which are, you know, one or a couple of entrepreneurs getting together really to speak truth to power. Um, and because they're funded by and supported by their, their members' time, energy, and moxie, they really have been able to, to have um, quite amazing reach and, and were really inspired by that work. And your basic field of interest is research every when you type in your name uh, in google i see the word research jumping into my face a lot and i think this could be the key of and um, david and i are always talking about the future and how to um, how to get people to pay for uh, journalism and how will it look like do we need members do we need kind of paywalls or whatsoever um, you research like for years now And uh, when I come back to a, an interview uh, that was with you by um, Source, it says that you analyzed reader interactions with breaking news stories, studied millennial news junkies. Uh, I bet you got like the perfect plan for journalism in 2025, let's say. <laughs> What would you answer that? <laughs> What I would say, my my hypothesis for journalism in 2025 is that um, it will look quite a bit more interactive as opposed to sort of a, a church state um, kind of uh, boundary between publishers and their audiences. Um, the work that I had done previously at the New York Times was very focused on how the Times might best be able to engage prospective and future audiences. So um, people who weren't, let's say, uh, daily subscribers or who weren't heavy users of that journalism, but might be turning to it in the case of um, of major breaking news events to make sense of what had happened and also really valuing the analysis. And where that really relates to the work that I'm doing now as research director for the Membership Puzzle Project is in understanding what it is that individuals need and want to really 
aid our news organizations to to strengthen their revenue um, and to make them sustainable in the in the much longer run. So the work that that our team has undertaken to date has looked like interviewing staff at about 40 different news sites around the world. And those sites really um, run the gamut from large and small. Um, they have all different size of, um, of reach and membership legacy. Some are just getting underway in, in sort of evolving to, to be able to offer um, some sort of sort of social contract with their members. But uh, we are now transitioning, and this autumn we've been talking to members of news sites, and that has been just such an, a fascinating endeavor. One of the things that we've been doing is bringing a list of about 20 different values um, that that individuals say is important to them in thinking about the news that they want to support. So we put almost, I'm actually going to pull it up here. Um, we put together a worksheet that I will happily send you so that any of the listeners to this podcast can use it in their own conversations with their audience members. Um, and the question is, what do you value in your membership? And so it includes things like a sense of affiliation or belonging, the ability to interact with reporters, exclusive or VIP access. And we're just beginning to map what about 60 members of news sites around the world have told us, and we're undertaking that work with supporters of other sites. And I'll tell you that a couple of themes have, have really emerged. So the first is people are telling us that the merchandise, the physical branded goods that they can carry around or that they can wear um, are much less important to them. And this supports something that we had heard early on um, from Jill Shepard at ProPublica, who came to that organization from Chicago Public Radio. She had said to us, look, the, the person who, um, who can afford to support your work in a meaningful way doesn't necessarily need the $5 discount at a local restaurant as part of their membership or reason to support you. And that has really borne out in our conversations with members that they say, I want as much as possible of what I give you to go back into the reporting. And I don't necessarily need to be recognized with merchandise or swag. The other thing that members are telling us is that the um, exclusive access, the members-only content, the special access to staff is much less of interest than I initially expected it might be. Um, I think I had gone into this work thinking, oh, if there's a limited good and people can be part of that, it makes them feel really special. And what members are telling us instead is, I actually want you to be able to make as much of your work open as possible so that if I send a link to a friend that we're able to then discuss it or that students can access your work and it's not gated or behind a paywall. And that's really intriguing to us. So um, another, another major theme that has come across in this work is that members are telling us they really appreciate the unique value that a site brings more than utility. And what I mean by utility there is, uh, you know, being able to or, or choosing to subscribe so that you don't have to bump up against a paywall and find creative ways on the web to be able to access the information that you want. So people are saying, it's not just that I get the utility of saving 
saving time and accessing your information. It's that you're doing something in the world that I think should exist. That that you are, that you're bringing important information to light that otherwise wouldn't get told. Um, We have more work to do to understand what it is that that members need in their side of the social contract, but I've been really impressed by um, by the nuance and the thoughtfulness that they've that they've brought to us. As part of this work, we're also conducting analogous research, which is um, research to understand non-news sites and organizations and what they might be able to to bring to bear in regards to positive membership practices. And so that includes things like faith-based communities, unions, um, recovery communities, and we've written quite a bit about this and have a lot more research to understand what those organizations might teach news. And a, a quick teaser on what we've learned from those organizations so far is the importance of flexibility. So sometimes that can look like personalized contracts, um, which I'm really curious of, of what that might play out for news organization news organizations, uh, as well as the idea of team tryouts instead of free trials. And that is fantastically intriguing to me when we think about, you know, what would it look like to agree upon a length of time with a prospective member and then come back to the table at the end of that time and say, how did this work for both of us? And do we want to move forward? If so, what would that arrangement need to include? Um, how do we make sure that both sides feel like they're getting they're getting the better end of the deal, if that's possible? Um, and the hope with all of this work is that we're able to develop a set of promoted practices for the news industry um, as we study across news and news membership, um, as well as academic literature and these analogous spaces. Wow, you left so many breadcrumbs. I don't know where to, which one to pick up. Uh, what I really find interesting is uh, what I thought is that uh, it, it's a bit similar to like crowdfunding projects when you said like they don't want like uh, I don't know scarves or caps or t-shirts or whatsoever but I see that it's working in a, in a crowdfunding world um, and what I find really interesting and a German project called Krautreporter tried this when they um, started some years ago and I was a subscriber from the very beginning and they made exclusive content and I didn't like this idea because I thought well I can spend the money because I want to why uh, am only I able to read this stuff and they quickly after one or two years change it that everyone can read it but only members can comment on it or something like that uh, I like the idea very much but what I get from what you're saying is that it might be a uh, bright future for journalists if they spend more money in research in research teams in companies like yours who research for them i don't know would you say that this will be a big part of modern newsrooms like research teams not only editorial teams but also research teams i think that that's fantastically important and i think journalists are better prepared than just about anyone in the world to undertake research into what it is that that their audiences prefer and need from them um 
And, and I think the reason that they are so good at doing that work is they want to get to the heart of the story and they want to come back and tell um, a really compelling story around that. And so I think going to audience members, current, former perspective, uh, to, to really understand how is it that we might even co-design an initiative that, that works really well for everyone involved, um, ends up saving news organizations time, energy, money, headaches, um, to, to a great extent. And I would say Kraut Reporter is one of the sites that we're, we're really watching closely. I'm so encouraged by, um, how they sort of switch directions. And we have seen that sort of the, the willingness to be flexible and to, to pivot for, for lack of a, less of a uh, trendy term, uh, really as a, as a great harbinger of success, that those organizations that really listen to their members and don't just sort of set the program and then forget it, um, really are, are well served in doing that. And I think of, you know, sites like Follow the Money, which is a Dutch investigative outlet, um, as, as really doing great work in this space to say, okay, let's come back and revisit what it is that we're doing so that we make sure we are providing great value in our, in our members' lives. Have you seen any differences in different countries uh, from research? Like that it's different in Europe from what the members or subscribers are in, in the U.S.? So the the big question that we have is around that exclusive access. I know the masthead, which is the Atlantics program, just launched um, with that concept sort of being pretty central to to what it is that members get um, by by being involved. And we have more work to do to understand differences across continents. I would say so far, the needs that we've heard from members have been much more similar than they've been different. Um, and we have a great amount of work, I would say, ahead of us in terms of researching what South American and African and Asian members need. Um, I'm excited about potentially bringing on um, a researcher from a university in Australia to help us understand concerns in Oceania. Um, so I would say stay tuned and I would love to get back to you with a good answer to that question. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Many of the many of the the uh, approaches you are talking about uh, in in the uh, social contract uh, are are like really um, th this about this like uh, two way communication. So not only the old uh, like news way that uh, we are bringing you stories, but like we are talking with you and listening to you and. I, I would really like your, your your take on it. If if this this is something you see is 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 like you see repeating in different like models, uh, and uh, if if you think this is gonna like go further or uh, what, what's your take on this? I'm so glad that you asked about that. I have been really excited about work that Day Correspondent does in this regard, in that it encourages all of its reporters who are individual correspondents, each following a unique beat uh, or, or coverage area, to be sharing work in progress. And so initially I thought, oh my gosh, that's so vulnerable, the idea that, um, that you would go ahead and say, this is something that I'm working on. What if you got scooped? And I, I now have really changed my impression on that topic. Um, the idea that if someone were to start reporting, you know, 
weeks or months after you had begun your work, that you should actually be flattered by that, that that's a sign you're really on to something good. Um, and I have been, I've, I've been really encouraged by seeing how much day correspondent members have been forthcoming in offering story tips and ideas when they know what it is that that correspondent is, is focused on. Um, and, you know, because the, the correspondent asks that all of its um, correspondents publish a weekly newsletter, it means that there's very regular communication and dialogue um, to say, you know, these are the questions that I have. These are potentially my blind spots. Can you help me fill them? And I think, you know, in a, in a historical moment in journalism where we have David, David Fahrenholt uh, having won the Pulitzer Prize for a lot of his work um, that was, that was, you know, directly, uh, directly resulted from working with his readers to look into Trump's philanthropic giving or lack thereof. Uh, I think this just comes at a really wonderful moment. And members have told us that as opposed to it conveying weakness or vulnerability, this actually suggests strength on the part of the reporters who, um, who they follow and, and who they trust because it, it, it's more human. And, um, and it also suggests, oh, there's something that I can offer if I have unique expertise in this area and you're coming to me, um, potentially what we can co-produce is much greater than what you could dig up on your own. Wow, I'm, I'm so, and I'm so glad you 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 mentioned like uh, David Fahrenholt from uh, Washington Post because his his name keeps like popping up always and I mean if you think about it it's like such an easy idea like for everyone to do like like or anyone right I think so too I mean it's I wouldn't say it's easy necessarily I think it is well intentioned and ultimately an amazing return on investment. I, It doesn't, it's not simple. Um, and I think there need to be better systems for um, being able to collect and make use of audience information, um, which you can imagine, it, it takes a great amount of time and effort um, to be in close contact with audience members. But I think it's one that really does behoove us to be to be taking more seriously. Um, and I would say there are a couple of organizations that we've seen that are formalizing uh, their, um, their educational efforts with their audiences. So organizations like the Bristol Cable in England, like Youth Radio in Oakland, California, um, that really make a huge part of their mission working directly with audiences to educate them to undertake their own reporting. And hopefully that work ends up benefiting the site. But the idea being that by inspiring um, their own members to, to learn and to grow, that journalism as a field really benefits. Um, I think about, I was just in, in Chicago visiting City Bureau and talking to some of their young documenters who City Bureau pays to go and do, do reporting on their behalf, young people in the community. And I just think it's such a fantastic model when we think about pairing media literacy and education. Um, and, and that just suggests a huge need. We haven't yet hit on this in the course of our conversation, but um, I think educating audiences in regards to the ways that that news is produced, what the, the labor that goes into it, um, but also the, the incredible financial ramifications for that work, especially when we're talking months or year long, years long investigations, um, that that work comes with a heavy 
personal, professional, and financial price tag. And so I think as news sites can can be more transparent and can say, this is how we're spending your money. Um, these are the resource decisions that that we're making. These are some of the, the considerations that we're debating as they can really open that up. That it goes a long way towards earning reader trust. Um, I think about organizations like Honolulu Civil Beat in Hawaii that have um, editorial meetings once a month that are open to members and supporters. And uh, and what their their staff shared with us is uh, that members from the community are very forthcoming in saying what issues they have and what issues they have with us. But I think by creating a sense of we're listening to you and we care about the things you care about, it goes a tremendous way um, in fostering long-term sustainability for these news sites. Well, I mean, we could we could be here and listen to you, but uh, I know you have uh, another engagement. Uh, um, I just wanted to um, maybe say that um, if I'm correct, there is a News Impact Summit coming up in Europe uh, where in, in Manchester, 2nd of uh, November. And I think Jay Rosen is supposed to be there as a speaker, right? Yes, I believe so. So I guess he will be also talking about the things, some of the things you have um, maybe researched so far. Um, and... Um, Yeah. Uh, what 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 would you like recommend uh, everyone to do if they're like really interested in membership, like 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 right now? Yes. One thing I would say is to go on our site and explore the database of membership programs within news sites. That provides sort of a really rich tapestry of what different sites are trying around the world. And you'll see a wide variety of price points. That's something that we didn't even have a chance to talk um, to talk about today, but something that we're really trying to understand is what is it that, that prospective members are willing to pay? And does that amount potentially change over the course of, of their membership, because that's an important piece of the, the social contract that we mentioned. Um, and please reach out to us as you have ideas. And whether it's, um, you know, this is something that our organization tried vis-a-vis -a, -vis a membership program that supports what you've learned, or if it's something that, that really disputes what we found so far, I am highly interested in areas where um, we can be in conversation with skeptics of this approach and really understand the concerns that they have um, and how together we can be creating um, a more a more robust and stable um, financial climate for news sites in the years to come. Wow, thank thank you Emily for for your time and uh, like uh all the, all the knowledge we'll be uh, uh providing the links uh to the to the website uh, also to the database in the description of the podcast and uh yeah thanks again uh, once more for coming uh, to talk to us absolutely i would love to um if if you'll have us back i would love to update you um next year on on additional findings and i think the work that you're doing is fantastic so do keep it up and thank you oh wow thanks that's nice okay so emily had had to go we're recording this ending after the interview um finished with her uh, so what do you think mark i really like the approach and i think if you're a student and you still need a topic for your master thesis or diploma or whatsoever i think this research approach uh, is a very nice thing to like to develop and yeah to get in touch 
with Emily and and her staff and it it could be a nice approach from university side as they do but also from a journalistic side so I like it very much and I'm looking forward to the numbers she will present or the, the outcome she will present uh, next year to us. Yeah, I mean, wow, it's it's such a rich topic. I mean, I, mean, I would never, like, <laughs> I, I didn't know you can have, like, so many things connected to membership, so many styles and, like, different approaches uh, to, to how you uh, work on your membership project. I've been reading a lot of the, the posts. Um, uh, I mean, I've been following the, the membership puzzle project since beginning, um, but I, I haven't read all of the posts. Uh, the, uh, I mean, the blogs, uh, the, the guys, the, the team has written, and I have uh, caught up yesterday, like today and yesterday before, before this interview. And I just I just feel so smart now after reading so so many of them. I think that's the intention. No, no, it's great. Yeah, I mean, if yeah. if you have a a research arm of anything and and it provides you like a real actionable knowledge, which which the 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 membership puzzle projects aims to, I guess as well. That's that's like that's like huge. I would say. Yeah. Definitely. And I would recommend everyone to, as David said, join the News Impact Summit in Manchester on November 2nd because Jay Rosen will be there. And they uh, finally launched the program on their website. So please go and check out newsimpact.io, the program for the Manchester News Impact Summit. We like them. Is it right? <laughs> uh, we like them very much. Yeah, but like at, at this point, I think some of the some of the guys suspect like, no, we are still not being paid for <laughs> for for this, and we don't want. We just we just love them uh, for the the work they are doing, like the guys at the EJC. Uh, but anyway, um, also the guys from Hacker Story might be at at the uh, Manchester News Impact Summit. Uh, if you haven't listened to that episode, just go quickly listen to it and then register for the summit because uh, if they are going there it will be fun yes uh, we are on iTunes on Google Play Music Podcast whatever what a long name on SoundCloud you find everything on checkyourfacts.eu and yeah what else to say David I don't know uh, you should definitely follow us on Twitter that's the like most active uh, social uh, media yeah, channel sure. we're we're operating on um, uh, <laughs> and yeah guys uh, a really interesting uh, like um, uh, not interesting is the word I'm looking for but important message we have for you in the end uh, which which is mark yes please never forget to always check your facts Okay. All right, see you next week, David. Okay, see you, Mark. Bye-bye, guys. Bye. Bye.